0: Alright, welcome everyone. I want to thank you so much for joining us for worship tonight, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of this service. If you're a guest with us, my name is Chris Philbeck. I'm the senior pastor here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church. I apologize for our high school pastor. He gets a little carried away sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I want to especially welcome those of you who are guests with us. Don't we love Matt Panade? He does a great job. This week... And I'm wrapping up a special three message series called Promise Fulfilled. We began this series last week on Palm Sunday weekend. Part two came last night at our Good Friday service, and I'm finishing things up tonight. One of the most amazing things about the Bible is the sheer number of prophecies that have been made and fulfilled, many of which are about Jesus, who was the Messiah. That word Messiah comes from a Hebrew word that literally means anointed one or chosen one. Uh, There's a New Testament equivalent for that word, and that's the Greek word Christos or Christ. And that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. When the disciple Andrew first learned about Jesus, he immediately went and found his brother Simon Peter. And this is what he said to him in John chapter 1 and verse 41. He said, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ this is who the Jesus, the Jewish people rather were looking for because they had read and heard all of the Old Testament prophecies that promised that God would send a deliverer to save his people. And Jesus is the one who fulfilled that promise. Let me give you some examples of those promises. And these are all found in the Old Testament. It just reminds us of the, of the sheer power of an omnipotent God and an omniscient God. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, 14 said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And Jesus' mother Mary was a virgin. She was pledged to be married to her husband Joseph, but they had not yet consummated their marriage. Isaiah 40 and verse 3, and again in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, says that the Messiah would be preceded by a messenger. And we know in the Bible that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. Isaiah 49 and verse 7, and again in Psalm 69 and verse 5, said the Messiah would be hated without cause. And if you know anything about Jesus' life in the Gospels, you know that was true of him. There's an interesting verse in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter. The apostle Peter is in the home of a man named Cornelius, and he's telling him about Jesus along with all the other people that were gathered there, and this is how he describes Jesus in that moment. He says he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him, and that was Jesus' life, and yet with all of that goodness, he was hated by the religious leaders. Psalm 41 and verse 9, and again in Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, we're told that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend, and it was one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, who betrayed him. Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12 said the Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and that was the price of Judas' betrayal. Isaiah 53, 7 said that the Messiah would be silent before his accusers, and when you look at the accounts of Jesus standing before Pilate and the other people who put him through false trials and trials that were nothing more than a sham. You see that he was silent in the face of their accusation. Psalm 22 and verse 6, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 and again in verse 12 said the Messiah would be executed by crucifixion and we know that Jesus died on a cross. Isaiah 53 9 said the Messiah would be buried with the rich. And the Bible tells us in the gospels that when Jesus died a man named joseph of arimathea a man who was wealthy asked if he could take his body down from the cross and he laid him in joseph's tomb in isaiah 53 and verses 9 and 10 and again in uh, psalm 16 and verse 10 we're told that the messiah would be raised from the dead and that's why we're celebrating tonight somebody should say amen to that amen. 700 years before jesus's birth the Bible prophesied that he would be born of a virgin in an obscure village named Bethlehem and later betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. 900 years before his, Beth, his, excuse me, his birth, the Psalms told of Jesus' death by crucifixion, and the Psalms told what he would say on the cross, and the Psalms told us that soldiers would gamble for his clothes. Along with all of that, friends, and so much more that we don't have time to even talk about, the Bible prophesied that Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. You know, the Jews believed in ancient days that on the fourth day after death, a person's body would begin to, de- to decay. But Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And why is that important? Why is that little nuanced detail important? It's important because it fulfills another prophecy. Psalm 16 and verse 10 says, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will, your holy, no, nor will you rather let your holy one see decay. There's not just the Old Testament that uh, references the resurrection through prophecies. The resurrection was a significant part of Jesus' teaching about himself. Look at these words on the screen from John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body. You go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, and we read, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, "A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus' most common way to refer to himself, for the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then there are these words from Matthew 16 and verse 21. At a critical moment in Jesus' ministry, when he turns his attention primarily from the crowds to his disciples because he knows the end of his life is drawing near, we read from that time on, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Friends, I could go on, but I'm going to stop right there. When we gather on Easter to celebrate the resurrection, we are celebrating a promise fulfilled. And here's why that promise fulfilled is so significant for every one of us. It shows us that Jesus has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. Jesus came into the world and died on the cross because we all had a problem that we couldn't solve on our own. And that problem was sin, and the consequence of sin was separation from God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin, and he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. I love the way the Apostle Paul describes that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. And I love the way it reads in the Passion Translation of the Bible. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing, everyone say nothing, nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. And when he rose from the dead, what we celebrate tonight, he validated that reality. He validated that truth in an unmistakable and undeniable way. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because it shows us that Jesus has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you At the top of that list for all of us is that sin that separates us from God on our own. But it's even more. I want to show you that briefly. Through three post-resurrection encounters Jesus had with people who found themselves feeling overwhelmed. I'm going to have to summarize these stories as I go. First, there was the grief of Mary. In the gospel of John, we're told that there was a moment on that resurrection Sunday when Mary, and we're talking about Mary Magdalene here, Peter and John went to the tomb after Jesus had risen from the dead, and so they found it empty. Eventually, Peter and John left, but Mary didn't leave. She stood outside of the tomb crying because she was overwhelmed by her grief, by the depth of her grief. But at one point, as she was standing there crying and weeping, the resurrected Jesus himself appeared to her and asked her why she was crying. but Because she was so overwhelmed by her grief in that moment, she didn't recognize him and thought he was a gardener. And so she said to him in John chapter 20 and verse 15, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Listen to what happened next. In John chapter 20 verses 16 and 17, this is what we read. Jesus, the one she thought was just a gardener, said to her, Mary, spoke her name. And she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And in that moment, Mary's grief was gone. You know, grief can be a powerful thing. It can overwhelm our lives. But Jesus has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. And that's what we remember when we think about the power of the resurrection. I've had a front row seat to the overcoming power of grief for the last 42 years of my life as I've walked alongside so many people who have suffered loss, sometimes tragic and unthinkable loss. But it's not just a loss of life that can lead us to be overwhelmed by grief at times in life. There are lots of other things that can bring grief. I'll be honest with you and tell you that there have been several times over the past two years when I have felt a deep sense of grief over the loss of so many familiar things as a result of the COVID virus. I've met many times when I felt overwhelmed by grief at the way it has affected the church, the local church. Grief comes from all different sources But one of the things the resurrection teaches us is that in the midst of our grief, Jesus is there. And while you might not recognize him, you need to know that he sees you and he knows your name. I love this verse from Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And one of the things I love about the resurrection is that it reminds us, it teaches us that Jesus has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. He did that for Mary in the midst of her grief. Second, there was the failure of Peter. I think most people, even people who don't go to church or have much of a spiritual background or ever read the Bible, know what Peter did. It's a familiar story. They know that he denied Jesus on multiple occasions. The Bible says that during the Last Supper together, Jesus actually told Peter that he would deny him before the beginning of a new day. Before the rooster crowed, you'll deny me three times. That's what Jesus had said to Peter. And even though Peter was emphatic in saying that under no circumstances would he ever do such a thing, Just a few hours later, just a few hours later, reminding us of how quickly life can change. When Jesus was on trial for his life, Peter stood at a distance, and he was warming himself near a fire when someone in the crowd said, you are with Jesus, and Peter denied it. That was number one. A little while later, someone else made the connection and said it again. And once again, Peter denied it was true. That was denial number three. Number two. After a little more time passed, another man pointed at Peter and said, You're from Galilee. Your accent gives you away. Surely you were with him. And that time Peter got angry. And he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Denial number three. And listen to how Luke describes what happened next. Luke chapter 22, verses 60 through 62, just as he was speaking, talking about Peter, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, and he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter had failed Jesus in an unbelievable way. He had failed Jesus in a spectacular way. And when he heard that rooster crow, he became overcome by his failure. But Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. And we know that happened for Peter. Peter. Because sometime later, when Mark wrote his gospel account of the resurrection, he writes about women going to Jesus' tomb on that Sunday morning to anoint his body which was a common theme from the Gospels. And when they went, they encountered an angel. And this is what the angel said, according to Mark 16, verses 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Do you think those two words and Peter were an accident? Those two words made all the difference for a man who had failed in a way that brought him enough guilt and enough shame to last for the rest of his life. And those words were powerful because they made it clear that Jesus, even in the face of Peter's failure, that Jesus was not through with Peter. Peter. I'm certain that there are people listening to me right now here and online, and there'll be people listening to me tomorrow who think that what they've done is too much to forgive and too much to forget, and that no matter what they do to try to make up for it, God will never accept them. But the Bible makes it clear in an emphatic way that that's not true. Because no matter what your past may be, even if you've done things that can never, ever be undone, God's mercy and God's grace are always available. I love these words from Isaiah 43, verse 25. I am, or excuse me, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more in fact that's so powerful will you read that with me can I hear your voices tonight I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more we cling to those words when Jesus died on the cross he paid the price for all of our sin and that means that any punishment that you may think that you somehow deserve today has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus God's need for any justice with regard to your life has already been satisfied and God's grace is always going to be greater than your failure And we remember that at the resurrection because one of the things the resurrection teaches us is that Jesus has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. And we see it finally in the doubts of Thomas. You go to the Gospel of John in the 20th chapter, and we see that after Jesus rose from the dead, there was a a time when his disciples were in a room with the doors and the windows locked in fear that the religious leaders were going to come and arrest them in the same way that they had arrested Jesus and that they would have the same fate that Jesus had suffered. But despite the fact that the doors and the windows were all locked, the resurrected Christ appeared among them and said in John 20 and verse 19, Peace be with you. John then goes on to say that Jesus showed them his hands and he showed them his side to confirm that it was really him risen from the dead. But there was someone missing. I'm sure most of you know the story. Thomas wasn't there when that happened. And when he showed up later and the rest of the disciples told him the story, he said, quite honestly, I don't believe it. In fact, he specifically said in John chapter 20 and verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And a week goes by. The disciples are still in the same place and Thomas is with them. And Jesus shows up again with the same greeting. Peace be with you. And then he says, according to John chapter 20 and verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responds in John 20 and verse 28 by simply saying, my Lord and my God. But Jesus didn't turn his back on Thomas simply because Thomas wanted to see for himself that Jesus was alive. In fact, Jesus did the opposite. He went out of his way to make a special appearance just for him. And there's a lot we can learn from this story. But if I were forced to share what I think would be the most important thing, it would be this. It's not wrong to have questions and doubts about the Christian faith. It's not wrong to have questions or doubt at times about God Or about Jesus. There's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. And if that describes you. If you're someone. Whether you're here or you're listening to me online. Where you're someone who feels at times drawn to Christ. And drawn to the message of the gospel. And yet you're struggling with questions and doubt and uncertainty. Then I want you to know. That Jesus is ready to make himself known to you. Thomas said, I need to see him with my own eyes. I need to touch him with my own hands. And Jesus made that happen. I can't tell you exactly how Jesus might make himself known to you, but I can tell you that if you search for him with an honest and sincere faith, or rather desire for faith, that he'll show himself. He'll make himself known somehow. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a promise fulfilled. And that on its own, by itself, is an amazing truth. But let's not miss miss the personal meaning in this Easter season. Jesus' resurrection from the dead shows us that he has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. He has the power to overcome your sin. If you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, you've never looked at what he did for you when he gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, if you've never received that, accepted it, if you've never embraced it through faith in Jesus, you can do that before you leave. He has the power to overcome whatever level of grief you might be suffering through right now, no matter what the source. He has the power to overcome whatever failure you have in your life. Whatever it is that seems to be the last thing you think about when you lay your head on the pillow and the first thing you think about when you open your eyes in the morning... He has the power to overcome that through his love and his mercy and his grace. And he has the power to overcome whatever doubt you might have or uncertainty or question. And he has the power to overcome whatever else you could mention tonight because that's certainly not the entire list. And so if those words speak to your heart, then embrace the risen Christ. If those words speak to your heart, but embracing the risen Christ is something you've already done, then I would challenge you to think and to pray about or for someone that God could bring into your path Who needs to hear the message that you just heard? The risen Christ has the power to overcome whatever it is that has the power to overcome you. I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I thank you so much for a promise fulfilled. I thank you so much that we can know with confidence that Jesus is alive because he's alive inside of us. And I pray if there's anyone here right now or listening to me online, who is feeling overcome by something in their life Whether it's the sin that separates them from God or some level of grief or some failure or some doubt or something else that I don't have time to talk about, that you would help them have hope in this promise fulfilled and what it means for all of us on the most personal level. Thank you that the risen Christ has the power to overcome whatever has the power to overcome each of us in our lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.